everyone, and welcome to the Health Voyagers podcast series. I'm Ryan Allison, Portfolio Manager with the UH Ventures team. On today's episode, and in the spirit of our Call for Ideas program, we will be diving into market research. With us today, we have Eugene Young, who has over 25 years of experience in healthcare product development, engineering, technology transfer, and entrepreneurship. He's held roles with companies like Cleveland Clinic Innovations, Boston Scientific, and Medtronic, as well as numerous med device and health tech startups that have gone on to successful exits to establish industry partners. He is currently the co-founder of Research Guru, a product development consulting firm where he works with organizations to advance early stage technologies by bringing a wide range of capabilities from technology assessment to regulatory guidance and submissions, to design and engineering services for prototyping. So can you start us off with talking about your background and how you got to where you are today? Sure. I have an engineering degree, and right out of school, I started as a research and development engineer in industry. Uh, I was involved in the design of microelectronic packages. Uh, We did our work for companies like Intel or AMD. And I did that for about six years, and I I realized, you know, it wasn't the sort of thing that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. Uh, So I really started looking around uh, for something else that I thought might be more rewarding and more exciting. And I was able to get a start with a startup company in uh, Sorrento Valley, San Diego, which is sort of a mini version of San Diego's Silicon Valley. And it was a startup that was VC funded and it was developing one of the first PTCA catheters to treat coronary uh, artery disease. And that particular startup uh, exited successfully in a couple of years and it was really an exciting ride. And so, you know, I had that, the bug bit me and I stayed with uh, healthcare startups and med device companies uh, since then. All right. Thanks for that background, Gene. I mean, it's no small fact that you've seen a lot of uh, companies in the space, your experience and involvement with bringing new technologies to market, you know, from inception, idea, all the way to approval and, and finally seeing a product out there being used. So we'd love to get into some questions here and uh, let's leave it fairly open ended as well. Again, you've worked on so many different products in the past and continue to see new emerging technologies through your current firm, uh, Research Guru. So all of these start with an idea, maybe a spontaneous inspiration or an intentional aim to create something new. Um, Can you speak to us a little bit about some of those catalysts that bring uh, new ideas into healthcare, either from what you've seen with others or even through your own inventions. What are some of those ideas um, and and the inspiration behind them? Maybe some ways to generate ideas. Well, first, ideas come from everywhere. Um, uh, Many of them come from the physicians who are performing the treatment, but also from others who are involved really in that whole chain of uh, you know, dealing with particular diseases, or even in cases in hospital systems where, you know, there are systems that need to work. And, and all of it starts really with 
some pain point, something that doesn't work well, um, you know, something that is clear that needs some improvement. And uh, often when it comes to treating patients, we think about the clinical pain point, you know, at what point does technology fall down or there isn't just a good solution for a particular patient. And one of the first areas that I worked with long ago uh, when I was first starting my career was in the treatment of atrial fibrillation. There just wasn't any uh, technology uh, when I first started as a young engineer. And so in that particular case, there was really nothing we could do with the patients and they just had to tolerate the condition. If you look today, there's a number of treatments that are available, including catheter-based ablation, which I've worked on in several uh, several companies and startups using different energy forms and things like that. But to circle around, you're really looking for an unmet clinical need. And um, if you look at any potential problem that needs to be solved, really ensuring that that need is for real is, is really the first step that you would want to take um, on this journey. So let me follow up with that. Would you ever suggest to someone who's thinking about an idea um, to talk to their peers about it, you know, kind of to validate it, uh, you know, and, and this is getting into a question of follow, but, you know, initially when you have that, that early spontaneous idea, that stroke of insight, should you talk to others and kind of, you know, validate it with them or, or hold on to it and just let it digest for a little bit? I think you could separate separate that um, into two things. The first is validating the need. So this is really just establishing that there really is a clinical pain point that, you know, you could get to a certain point in treating a patient. And then at that point, technology stops and there's really no good solutions. So you're not really giving anything away there. You're just trying to find out from your peers, colleagues, whether they experience the same sort of abrupt end to what they can offer a patient. Um, so you want to validate first that the unmet clinical need is really something that's broadly encountered, um, you know, and, and maybe beyond just a particular type of institution. If you're working at a tertiary institution, often you get referral cases that represent a tiny fraction, you know, of the overall total cases. So you, you want to sort of take a broad view of how often is this problem in, encountered and who might encounter it. Uh, so that that's one thing you could do. Generally, if you want to talk about your idea, you may want to talk about the benefits of the idea. But I've always counseled uh, inventors not to share the idea itself, because that's sort of your intellectual property. So don't speak to how you solve the problem. But number one, determine that the problem is real, that it exists, and it's widespread. And then number two, what are the benefits of what you propose to do without going into the details of how you do it? And inevitably, what happens is someone will say, well, how do you do that? And that's where you have to be quiet unless you, you're under an NDA or, or an agreement where you know, your, your secrets are not um, compromised. Piggybacking on your last part when you're starting to get into where you know, that your counterpart is asking of the how, you know, you can kind of feel out how the conversation is going and whether it feels right to divulge more detail over time. 
but I think you're spot on with, you know, talking about what it is, what the problem is, but, you know, kind of leaving the details uh, ambiguous as to how you're solving that problem and, and see if maybe that person will bite. You know, of course, this is speaking to licensing or, or selling the product. Um, so let me follow up, Gene, with, uh, so for the myth of the solo inventor, is that, is there still the possibility that someone can work on their own and create, invent, you know, numerous different inventions? Or um, what do you think about the team approach to innovation and invention and, and bringing together different people with different perspectives? Well, th there are people who can do the whole thing by themselves, and they're certainly out there. You could point to examples. But by and large, most people will benefit from having a team around them. So no one person is an expert in all things. So being able to engage a group such as yours, you know, that have experts at looking at the market, looking at IP and other things will help facilitate a uh, review and an assessment that will go beyond what an individual can do. So, so I would I would endorse taking a team approach, provided that these people, you know, are within the same organization or they're under a confidentiality. Right. Yeah, that's usually the case with employees at our system. Um, you know, they could share with confidence to their colleagues if they're willing to. Uh, bring them into the fold, so to speak. But generally, yeah, I, I think you know you, you hit all the right points, Gene. Different perspectives certainly add to the value and the merit of uh, that initial vetting of an idea. And another thing is often when there's a review group that looks at new ideas, some great ideas get you know regurgitated time and time again. So someone may have experience something um, you know like that so they may have a background that can provide additional insights and i've heard it more than once where a physician will say you know we tried that 10 years ago and this is what happened so you know it, if you've got a team of people who are working on your behalf i think it it benefits you to share some of this so that you can benefit from experiences that they may have that is relevant to what you're trying to do so let's get into the next question here, which is really covering, you know, someone vetting their own idea or researching what's out there. So now let's imagine that someone has an idea to improve a medical device or a tool that they work with, you know, on a daily basis. And, or maybe they want to create a wholly new tool that would make their job much easier. Gene, what can you recommend as the first step someone can take to check their own thinking? and start investigating if the idea really has legs? Well, as mentioned earlier, you know, they can talk to colleagues about the unmet need, whether there is really a problem and that problem is encountered, you know, uh, frequently. Um, they can contact your office, for example. There'll be people who can guide them in terms of understanding the opportunity. Um, Often what I would suggest and what I do myself is just do a quick search on the internet and, and just ask certain questions and see what pops up. Uh, long ago, we used to have to use search services, you know, to get publications and things to do research. Now everything is at your fingertips. So, you know, 
an hour at the computer can give you a, a wealth of information to help you understand, is this a problem? And, and uh, you know, what solutions may be out there. So I would suggest maybe doing a little bit of research on your own at your own computer, uh, doing some searches to answer some questions. Yeah, and, and so we're getting into market research. And, um, you know, I think one important thing to point out is, especially with employees at our hospital system, most of them don't have experience with where to even start when doing this. Uh, and, and so sometimes we'll get ideas where it is just a matter of that quick you know, Google search or putting in the right keywords that quickly identifies whether there's, you know, there's already a product out there that does what they do, uh, what they're suggesting, or there's something in development. Maybe it's, it's kind of buried a little bit in the clinical literature, but it is there. So, um, you know, I, I certainly recognize that this process takes a lot of time and just knowing how to start difficult for some, but once they start to do it, can quickly grasp, you know, I, I need to check maybe PubMed or I need to put in the right key keywords and, and do a, a little bit of patent searching. So I think, you know, this leads nicely to uh, the next question where we can focus a little bit on market research. How do you think market research can help inventors or anyone with an idea to improve their idea? So let's say that someone is still thinking about their idea for the med device. Maybe it's a rough idea. They haven't quite figured out you know, some of the function or form or how it would work. How can that market research um, ultimately lead to helping them maybe change their idea up see that someone's already doing it? Well, I, I think there's several ways to proceed on this. Uh, I think still, you know, just a little bit of Google search can answer a lot of questions. Uh, I think the first thing is to ensure that the unmet need is real. Uh, a lot of A lot of people fall short in researching the unmet need and validating that it's real. Well, once you establish that and you feel pretty comfortable that the unmet need is one that is accepted by others, then you're looking at, well, what are the other ideas that have gone before to try to solve this problem? And there's, you know, you could go to PubMed and, and do some research on, um, publications that might touch upon this. That's one place I look. Uh, another place is just doing a quick Google search. It used to be you had to have a subscription to Thompson Innovation or one of these uh, services that are not available to people. Nowadays, you could do a Google patent search and, and find things. You just put in keywords and things pop up. And There'll be a number of patents usually uh, that address certain problems. And often in these patents in the background, there's a very good description of what the problem is. And it can help clarify your own thinking around what the problem is and how you might go about solving it. And you may also get insights into how other people thought about it and what solutions they came up with. And that may help clarify what you want to do or how you might proceed or maybe learn, you know, things that have been tried and have failed. 
Yeah, I, I think your last point on things that have been tried but failed um, is an important one. You know, sometimes when I'm conducting diligence, I've found where startups have fizzled out, uh, maybe due to you know lack of funding, maybe it's just not the right market opportunity. Um, but it is important to note, you know, they were maybe developing a new medical device uh, far enough down the pathway, but ultimately fizzled out, you know, possibly because they couldn't uh, demonstrate the, some uniqueness in the concept. It could be IP related, could have been clinical trial related. Uh, but I, I do take note of those and help uh, explain that and explore it to inventors when they submit as um, maybe justification for why we may not pursue an idea. Uh, but again, a great point. Yeah, and you know, failure is very common. You run across it all the time. And as you said, there are many reasons why projects or technologies may fail. Sometimes the state-of-the-art technologies are insufficient to overcome the needs of the project or the technology needed to solve the problem. I have seen uh, technologies that over the course of time with improved building blocks, you know, be able to work. So timing is another important factor. You know, are, is, are there resources? Is there interest uh, from funders? So there's a whole host of reasons why things fail. You know, again, I go back to the initial test. Has this problem been solved? Uh, if the problem hasn't been solved, it may not be a bad uh, idea to look through things that have failed and see, you know, can this be updated? And I've done a number of projects where we've taken older technology and sort of updated them using modern technology to do a better job. So past failure is not always an indication that you shouldn't proceed, but it certainly would give rise to some caution as you look at it. For sure. Um, Gene, can you speak a little bit to uh, when you're looking at the market, um, how can you evaluate maybe the business case for pursuing a new, a new idea or technology? Um, and, and maybe this speaks to market sizing yeah, I mean, you're really looking for an addressable market. So if you're looking at a particular procedure, and maybe I could just help drive this point with an example, but I remember being invited once to watch an interventional cardiology procedure where the physician had uh, an inclination that he would get to a point where he couldn't proceed with the case, and he did. It was It was remarkable that he could predict that, but he got to a point in the procedure and he turned around to me and said, look, I can't go any farther from here. There's nothing on the shelf that can help this patient. You know, so I think um, you're really looking at things like that where where you can sort of find that pain point. So for if you know, it's it's got the right it's addressing the right pain point. Um, you know, that initial vetting, the initial market research seems to, that there's, there's an opportunity here showing a, a potential to drive this forward, but maybe, um, you know, some aspects to market could be sizing, it could be price related. Is there a large enough market opportunity? Because you can spend as much time developing a product for an enormous market opportunity 
as similarly to a small opportunity, I mean, if it's medical device related or healthcare related, kind of takes a lot of the same effort. It, it does, and, and it's nuanced. Um, you know, getting back to the previous example, it was a situation that didn't, that wasn't encountered too frequently, but the consequences of failure were pretty high. So in that particular situation, maybe the market was just a small segment of a broader, larger market. And so that's what we call the addressable market. If your invention addresses just a tiny sliver of an existing market, for it to really have commercialization potential, you know, it has to really make a difference. It, if it doesn't and it's a small market or if the reimbursements aren't established or likely to be difficult to get reimbursed for the device, it becomes less uh, attractive from an investment point of view. And understand that bringing a medical device into the market is a very expensive proposition. So investors have to feel comfortable that if they make an investment that can run into the millions of dollars that the opportunity to recover that and make a profit exists. So they factor all of those uh, things into the equation. You know, how many people would be served by this new technology, how many procedures, what the reimbursement is, you know, what the competitive landscape is, you know, would you take the whole market or are you going to be fighting with three other technologies uh, to treat this particular subset of patients? Yeah, I, I think you're starting to hit on kind of a sweet spot for all of those areas, Gene, uh, that, that certainly capture the attention of potential investors, as well as, you know, me, my colleagues at the Ventures office when we're eyeing an opportunity and, and vetting it. Um, we do consider all of those aspects and uh, for some technology to, to fit into that sweet spot of, you know, not too burdensome of a regulatory pathway, uh, that there's a very clear reimbursement paradigm or, or example out there. The pricing is transparent. We know who the, the purchaser is. Uh, all of those factors, I think, do fit nicely into um, kind of some criteria that we, we evaluate and measure some missions up against. Yes, and, and it really runs the whole gamut. Um, you know, maybe a device is not a huge commercial potential, but if the process of getting it approved, adopted, and paid for is fairly straightforward and it fits with existing companies' distribution system, it may very well be worth pursuing. Um, but if it's going to require a very expensive clinical study, you know, it, then it would have to be a home run. All right. So why don't we get into intellectual property or IP? So, Gene, you've certainly got a history with uh, creating new IP and a featured inventor on, what is it, over 30 patents now or thereabout? Something like that, yes. Um, many of them did not prove to be commercial successes. So maybe an initial word to the wise. The patent process is extremely expensive. And in my case, most of these patents were paid for by large uh, entities, you know, that had deep pockets. But if you're an inventor on your own or even working with a group, you know, it, it, it's a big step to make to try to protect uh, an invention. And so it's really a, um, 
you know, it's, it's really a hurdle and an obstacle that you have to overcome. Uh, and there has to be a threshold where this, the opportunity looks very promising. And I, for that reason, I often look at other patents in the field. So if you're looking at a specific disease uh, and you're seeing, you know, are there, is there activity, is there patent activity? If you find some patent activity, it tells you that the commercial potential exists because it is an expensive process and someone else looked at it carefully and made the decision to make an investment. So it can tell you that an area is one that has commercialization potential as it was uh, viewed by others. You know, how much would you suggest, Gene, on when you're doing an initial prior art search, say for someone who is new to this process, uh, you, you reference Google Patents, and I know Google Patents is continuing to improve its platform, its searchable uh, capabilities. I mean, it's probably as good as some of the subscription databases out there now. So a really great tool to use that's free to use as well. Um, how much would you suggest that someone start to spend time on that process if they're very early in the idea stage? I think it's worthwhile to do at least an initial foray into looking at other ideas. I think it, patents are learning instruments, so they teach you how others have solved the problem. They also can teach you how others view the problem and provide some really valuable background. So I do think it's worthwhile to invest some time. But as you know, Ryan, patents can be tricky. People can file things in a manner that is not so easy to find them. They may classify them in different categories from what you might expect. The title may be different. Um, maybe the initial patent was for a different application. So, you know, it's it's there's a little bit of an art form to it. And you can never have a complete uh you can rarely have complete uh, confidence that you've really flushed out everything of value. So I think there's a point of diminishing returns when you do patent searches. You know, I think you should probably just do enough work so you have a sense of how others see the problem and maybe a flavor for what others have tried. I would use that as a starting point. So Myself, I, you know, I rarely spend more than an hour these days. Maybe when I first started, before I learned how to look at these things, I might have spent a couple hours initially, but that, that's about all I do. And, and I might look at five to 10 patents, glance through a few, and maybe just read through a couple of them that seem particularly close to what I'm trying to do. Yeah, definitely helpful. Because, uh, you know, like you said, you, you get to a point of diminishing returns. You could spend 20, 30 hours if you were so inclined, um, but not really get much farther than that initial two hours where you're just uh, bang on, you know, finding the obvious examples, the most relevant examples, if you're doing you know, pretty good keyword searches. Yeah, I think that's about all you could expect to do. I, I really wouldn't do too much more than that. I'm sure that when these ideas are brought to you through your IDF process, there's someone on your team that picks up where the inventor may have left off and, and do a more thorough search. And if this technology is ready to be spun out, often law firms are brought in to perform a freedom to operate you know, search. So 
you know, the more detailed searches will occur down the road after this is established as something that uh, you want to invest money into or, or potentially invest money into. Right. And, and, you know, we could reach out to law firms that help us with this patent attorneys that have experience looking at the prior art. Um, there is certainly an art to uh, deciphering what's uh, included in the patent, in the claims, and in the description. It can be quite technical, especially for those who aren't versed in the field. Um, so, I, I mean, I can speak for myself in having conducted a lot of searches across many different areas. Uh, it is often difficult to be you know, up to speed in any particular technical area. Um, so that's where we do rely on experts who can assist us in that process. Um, certainly as a smaller team, uh, we rely heavily on you know, our industry partners to, to help us out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, uh, often the claim language itself can be difficult to interpret, and that's where a patent attorney can help with, with some of that. Really, what you're looking for is sort of something broad. For the inventor, you're looking to see, is there someone else who had an idea like mine? You know, are there other people trying to solve the problem? How are they trying to solve it? I think you're looking at from a much uh, broader perspective. But I think as the technology is evaluated, then you'll bring in the people who can look at it with a fine-tooth comb. Right. And, and also... You know, and you may have touched on it, doing the, the patent searches brings up companies who are in the space. Um, and maybe it's not apparent that their product is on the market or even in, in development or testing yet, but it could be very new IP that's filed. And so it clues us in to uh, who's eyeing that space or opportunity. Um, are they actually a competitor or maybe they're a development partner there are different ways to think about it when we do find that prior art and and see who else is uh chasing after the same opportunity absolutely and that's who the assignee is so those are the firms that you know own the commercial rights to the patent they're assigned the patent from the inventor so as you know, these patents, there's an 18-month blanking period between when they're filed uh, and ultimately when they're published. Um, so there is a sort of a delay, but uh, patents are published before they are issued. Uh, often, It's often the case. And so you can see things fairly early uh, with patents where it may not even be in the market. So I think you make a good point. Well, now we're getting close to the end, Gene, um, but I just want to leave our last question kind of open to you. So, uh, and maybe we could end with some general guidance or anything we didn't get a chance to cover that you think is valuable for the audience when considering a new idea, the market opportunity or, or the IP. What are your key takeaways or, or some general rules of thumb? Is there anything you'd like to mention about what comes next after all this uh, diligence work that we've talked about? Well, maybe the the first thing I would say is, you know, why would anybody want to do this? And I think anybody who's down, been down this path with a creation of an idea and watching it go through the process that we discussed here, 
towards commercialization can be a very uh, satisfying process, rewarding. And so I, I would encourage everybody to take a look at this. It doesn't take a lot of time or effort to sort of help understand the process. A little bit of understanding goes a long way. And, um, you know, I've run across many people who started in one, one field and then ended up going, becoming entrepreneurs or being serial inventors and things like that. And so I think there's something here that could be attractive to many people. And I would encourage everyone to just take a look at this and maybe come talk to you and others in your office about this. I think that it could be very rewarding. And uh, I've seen it where, you know, ideas that you could bring forth become commercial successes. And, and really, it really uh, elevates your stature and uh, among your colleagues. So uh, I'm a big supporter of. Uh, people within hospital systems like yours, you know, to come up with new ideas and, and contact you uh, to see if there's really opportunity here. Well, thank you, Gene, for joining us and sharing your insights with our listeners. I've certainly learned a lot, uh, and I feel like there's still a lot more to explore here. So thank you all for listening to this Health Voyagers podcast. As always, be sure to follow Uni University Hospitals Ventures on LinkedIn, to keep up on our latest news, events, and upcoming podcasts. Stay safe and talk soon.